Hi City Church, it's good to be with you and anybody who's joining us who's maybe you're engaging with City Church for the first time or uh, from somewhere else, really glad that you're a part of this. Hope this can be an encouraging time of worship for you. If you're watching this, you can probably tell that we're again filming up at the Texas Girls Choir building, the building where we meet and still hoping, game planning, uh, thinking through how we can gather safely and effectively. In the coming weeks, we don't have anything finalized on that and we're gonna give you an update on where we're at with things later on this week. Thank you for all of those who gave input on the survey that we sent out. It's really helpful just to know where you are at in this whole process. Um, just to give you uh, just encouragement and maybe a peace of mind that we will um, be making services available in, in multiple ways, so online or in person and trying to again be as thoughtful and safe and effective at cultivating an environment of gathered worship for you in these coming weeks. And uh, honestly, it, just in terms of charting a wise, informed course through this whole thing, we definitely have our work cut out for us. Uh, that's the nature of uncharted territory, is that there's not a uh, charted way through it. And, um, and right now, there's just a ton of conflicting viewpoints, conflicting information. It's really hard to, to know exactly how to navigate, but we're going to do our very best in doing that. These are simply just weird times, it's strange times um, that we haven't, we haven't gone through before together. And uh, I was laughing with a friend of mine who recently moved to DFW just around the same time that quarantine was kicking in. Uh, that's when he moved to DFW. And uh, what happened was his first social engagement that he had recently after quarantine, uh, the first thing he did in person with somebody else was actually a first date that he went on. And uh, he was just recounting sort of his awkwardness through the exchange and just maybe the pent up social desire for social engagement that's all coming out in this one first date scenario. Uh, and he was just like, it was, it was too much. I wasn't ready for that. And uh, I wasn't ready to jump into that kind of interaction, that pressure of a first date after being quarantined for two months by myself. And we were just laughing about that. And I was thinking about it more and just the, the reality that starting a new relationship in these conditions would be really daunting. It would be a really daunting thing to undertake just to try to uh, start a new relationship in these conditions. Um, the one thing that might help you to do that, if you somehow could know for certain where that relationship would go, then it might make it worthwhile to overcome the challenges, the, the daunting circumstances to, to engage and to build that relationship because you knew where it would lead eventually. And so starting something new is in these circumstances is tough, but that's what we're going to do as a church. We actually want to start something new together as a church, jump into a new series this week. And so I was wrestling with whether or not to do that, whether we should wait till we can gather in person but ultimately where the road leads for us is worth worth it to start, even in the midst of challenging circumstances, to start into something new. And that's what I want you to get today is actually the motivation on why it's worth it to lean into this series that we're gonna, we're gonna go through in the coming months called BC, uh, the history of redemption. So that's BC, like the, the, the historical, note on when uh, a year is and so before Christ the history of redemption is what we're going to look at and I want you to see the motivation for why I think it's worth it to jump into this right now whether but whether it might seem easier to do this when we meet again or you know we don't even know when that's going to exactly be or how that's going to look um, in the midst of all that uncertainty I, I'm, I'm confident that this is the right direction for us to move as a church that we're going to jump into this series and I'm excited for you to see with 
me uh, from Luke chapter 24, why I think it's, why I think it's worth it uh, to jump into this series right now. Luke 24 is actually the, the place that um, really captured my imagination and our hearts for launching into a new series right now. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. And, um, and you can push pause at any time during this, whether it's to grab a Bible and turn to Luke 24 or whether that's to reflect or think on one of the things that God does uh, in your heart throughout this message. And I hope that he does something. That's actually my, my greatest desire is that in all of this, you wouldn't just hear a message from me or sing a song with Matt, that you would actually engage with God during these things. And it's a huge, I mean, it's a very ambitious thing to desire. It's a very ambitious thing to go for when you're sitting here recording in an empty room, you know, hoping just maybe God would use this. And so I'm going to pray towards that end and um, would love it if you would stop and pray with me. Uh, If you're driving or if you're with your family or by yourself, whatever you're doing, if you just pray now with me that God would speak to your own heart during these moments. And kiddos, if you're listening to this too, if you're in uh, maybe in elementary school, young, young, younger kid, man, know that, that God can speak to your heart now too. I hope that he will. You know. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this, just uh, this series of times I'm speaking into a microphone and looking at a camera hoping that you would do something on the other side of it in the life of a man or a woman or a kiddo. God, would you would you answer that prayer today? Would you, uh, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, who's not constrained by time or place or technology, would you reach into the hearts of your people, maybe even people who don't even know they're yours yet, to use uh, your words from your scriptures to light up the hearts of your people? Would you do that? And take a minute now even and just ask God what he wants to say to you uh, in these next moments. Luke 24. Let's get into it. Verses 13 through 27 is where we're going to be. And the context for this is that it's actually Resurrection Sunday, the the day that Jesus came back from the dead, that he was risen from the grave. This This is the day that we're looking at. And so starting in verse 13, it says, that very day, Resurrection Sunday, two of them, two disciples of Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So you have here Resurrection Sunday. Um, the, these two guys, they're, they're walking along and they're, they're apparently they've made a trip into Jerusalem. And now they're going back to this place called Emmaus. And it's a village. It's a little bit hard to pin down a, 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 a modern day village of Emmaus and know exactly where it is. But you get the distance that it is from Jerusalem. And so they're on this sort of seven mile walk and they're having a really, the, the way the language plays out is a pretty intense discussion about all the things that have unfolded over the course of the, the previous days. And, and then you get this new, you get information that they, they actually don't have, which is that Jesus kind of comes alongside them in this walk. And they don't recognize him and their eyes, it says their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And so we have this 
just throughout all the Gospels, Jesus is in this resurrection body after the resurrection, and there's a sense in which he is able to, or whether the disciples are just not picking up on it, or whether there's something about his resurrection body that's harder for them to recognize or something. This is the consistent theme, is that Jesus is able to, to be incognito in sort, of sorts uh, alongside these, these guys and have a discussion with them. And so, verse 17, you pick it up, and it says, And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And so Jesus comes along, and he's, he's like, Hey guys, what are, y'all, what are you guys talking about? And the question actually just stops them in their tracks. Do you see that? It says, And they stood still, looking sad. And so you have these two guys, and they're having this heated conversation. Jesus, this you know, stranger, comes alongside them sort of on their road trip. You know, somebody else hops into the, the car with them and coming alongside and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they just, it, they're like, they're so floored by the question, and they're so grieved by the circumstances. That's the picture we get. And so verse 18 picks up. It says, then one of them named Cleopas uh, answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So he's, he's, he's like, are you, are you serious that you don't know what we're talking about? You were just in Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem knows about this. Uh, what, what has happened here? And then Jesus just said to them, what things? He's like, what? no, I'm talking please tell me, um, which is just this fascinating picture of Jesus that um, I don't know if, I don't know if he's just uh, kind of having a good time here. I don't, I don't know exactly, but I think he's drawing them out. You know, he wants to see what they say. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And so they recount what it is that's so disturbing to them. And that would be disturbing in its own right, just that there was a man who was uh, innocent by all counts that has been delivered up uh, to the Roman officials and crucified. Uh, condemned to death and crucified. That would be disturbing in its own right, but they they seem to be in despair about something. It's not just those circumstances that are uh, the the situational realities that occurred, you know, the facts of the case. Uh, There's something more behind this, I think, and I think that they seem to be in despair is what they seem to be in. And so Viktor Frankl, he's a Holocaust survivor. He describes despair as the presence of suffering devoid of meaning. So when there is suffering that seems meaningless, and I think the events of the crucifixion appear to be suffering without meaning, but then for these disciples personally, it was suffering that robbed them of meaning. And here's what I mean. Their hope died with Jesus when he was crucified. And so it wasn't just that there was meaningless suffering happening, it was that it was suffering that was robbing them of their own meaning, that their hope was wrapped up in Jesus. And you see that in verse 21, it says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Their hopes of redemption were wrapped up in Jesus, and their understanding of what happened in the crucifixion is that it killed their hope. And so what's notable here, just uh, 
before we just read too much into what they're saying, that's notable here, I think that their hope was actually too small. Um, Now, it might seem like a big thing that Jesus was, they were hoping that he would redeem Israel, but they are thinking of an Israel as as a socio-political unit, uh, that, that Jesus would help them be released from the rule of Rome. That's actually kind of the way that all of the Jewish thinking would have led to was actually that they were just hoping that Jesus would have redeemed their nation. And Daryl Bach, who is like a foremost theologian on uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke, he says this, he says, in the pairs, the, the, these two guys, in their view, the possibility of such a hope coming to fruition for Israel died with Jesus on the cross. What they did not know is that this hope would be realized in an unexpected way, as the message of Acts and the, New, and the rest of the New Testament show. Irony again exists as the hope is even more comprehensively realized than these travelers had hoped. And so what he's saying is that these guys didn't even have the full picture, and the writer of Luke actually is the one who's going to go on and write the, uh, the book of Acts, which comes as sort of a pair in, in, as it's written. And so Acts will go on to show how it's not just this nation of Israel, but it's actually all of God's people, this, um, this kind of heritage of faith that's brought into the nation of Israel that's actually being redeemed, not just a socio-political unit. And so my exhortation in this moment for you would be to, don't, to, to not settle for a lesser hope. So there was something in what was happening here where their hope was being dashed on the rocks, but it, but it was actually a lesser hope. And so I know that I personally am tempted to do this, and in one way I'm tempted to not even include this exhortation, which is just sort of like a word, a charge for you, but, but because it's, it's like, man, how many times are we going to say this? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let this be sort of the cadence of our, even some of our preaching and of our call to you and to, to me to not, to not settle for a lesser hope, and we're going to have to continually call one another to this because we are continually, I think, drawn to lesser hopes. And, and I know that for me, I'm tempted to do this. I'm tempted to throttle back on this death-defeating, eternity-promising, promising, sky-rolling-back, blindingly glorious hope in Jesus. I'm tempted to just throttle back on that and say, you know what, man, what if I could just have healthy, happy kids, maybe an upgraded vehicle, economic safety, better-than-average vacations? Maybe I could just have that, and, and I don't have to go so hard in the paint on this fact that Jesus Christ has promised me an eternity with joy to the very max. Maybe I could just for a day or for a minute just throttle back and settle for um, just a really cool trip as my hope. And now those are good hopes to have. Like I want my kids to be healthy and happy. Like I work hard at that. And I, you know, eventually I'm going to have to upgrade my vehicle, I think, and you know, it depends on when Jesus comes back, but um, he's going to have to come back soon for me to not do that, I think. A lot of electrical issues, but uh, here, C.S. Lewis captures this and challenges me with this quote, and you've probably heard, if you've heard a C.S. Lewis quote, you've probably heard this one, but don't, don't write it off, because I think that's the whole deal with this, settling for a lesser hope. We're t- kind of like cynical about it, but hear what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
And so actually built into this is the fact that there are good vacations to go on better than just making mud pies in the slum. But that's not his point. His point is that we settle for lesser hope. And he's, he's begging us, don't do it. There's more for you, more joy out there. And so to muster the, muster the courage to hope in something more doesn't actually, uh, which is what you have to do. You're going to have to kind of muster the courage to hope in something more than maybe you could attain today or this year or with a really good set of goals. Uh, to muster that kind of courage doesn't actually uh, demean the goodness of healthy kids and stable incomes and good vacations. It will actually empower you. I think this is the irony is that it will actually empower you to be grateful for those things instead of worshipful of them. So you can be grateful for those things and actually be content with them rather than worshipful of them and continually discontent. And so don't, don't think that to um, actually muster the courage to hope in something more is to produce discontentment with the world around you, what God has given to you and entrusted you, I think it actually will do the inverse. It will cause contentment to reign in your life as you hope for something more and worship something better. And so one exhortation for you, don't settle for a lesser hope. So now these guys, they, they were hoping that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel. And so now they're in this state of despair because all their hopes had died on the cross with Jesus. But it's not just that they're, they're in despair. I think they're also confused. If you keep reading in verse 21, it says, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. Amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And so just to capture the real tone of what they're saying to the resurrected Jesus, they unknowingly are speaking to him, they have this kind of tone of perplexed doubters. You see, they weren't encouraged by the women's report. That actually wasn't for them the, the, the key that unlocked the mystery of everything, the resurrection. They were simply astonished by it or perplexed by it. They were confused. They didn't have a category for the resurrection, which if, I think is actually an internal proof of sorts for the resurrection itself. Um, but, but again, it's probably because the enemy that they had in mind that Jesus was going to defeat was just Rome. It wasn't death. You see, they had settled for defeating Rome instead of defeating death, and so it left them with confusion, and uh, especially as it relates to the resurrection. And for them, the missing piece of the puzzle was, uh, was Jesus himself. You see, they, they knew about an empty tomb. They just didn't know what had happened to the one who was in it. You see, they said, him they did not see. And that's the last thing they actually got out before Jesus breaks in, in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so Jesus, in this moment, breaks in where they're, 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 they have this kind of uh, really downcast, despairing 
uh, attitude and, and disposition, and then they're also just perplexed and doubtful about any of the, really, the things that they're hearing. And Jesus breaks into this moment and issues a pretty firm rebuke to these guys. The exclamation point that's captured, at least in the English Standard Version, is a, is a rightly placed exclamation point. That's a pretty firm rebuke. And the rebuke is that they were slow to believe what the prophets had spoken about Jesus. They were reluctant, reluctant to trust in God's word that was spoken in the Old Testament about Jesus. And so they had all the information. Jesus is saying you had all the information that was necessary to see if he was the one to redeem Israel. And, and the, the, the information was that he would need to suffer first and then enter into his glory. And so I can imagine uh, them retelling this story when they get back uh, to Jerusalem and they're like, and Jesus was like, you guys listen to the song, but you somehow missed the chorus, which is another internal proof of the resurrection that they were like, and Jesus was like, you guys got it all wrong. You know, I'm not, if I'm making up this story, I'm not going to necessarily make myself out to be the foolish one who is slow of heart that gets rebuked by Jesus for hearing the song, but missing the chorus. You know, I, I, right now, my, uh, whenever I watch TV with my wife, I'm like watching TV. And so I watch the commercials. I'm like a marketer's e either like best friend or worst nightmare. Cause I look at the commercials and I just like all the time, I'm just like, man, that doesn't make sense. Or that's really a miss or whatever. And my wife's like, I'm not watching the commercials. I'm, I'm not seeing these things. So don't, you're talking to yourself. Um, but this also happens with songs. There's like a lot of songs. When I was in college, I'd actually go to these, these, date parties, these parties where, they, you know, just a big bunch of group of friends uh, dancing and singing songs and whatever. And a lot of times they were, you know, pop culture rap songs. And you would have these people singing the songs at the top of their lungs. And it's like they have no idea what they're saying because there are horrific things that are being said. But I think it happens all the time where people sing the song, but they somehow miss the words. They miss the chorus. But these disciples, they get this gift of a moment. They get this gift of a road trip with Jesus where he takes them through the Old Testament, the author himself unpacking the mysteries. And so sometimes I actually like to listen to the story behind the song interviews that happen. If you've ever seen like an album and they'll do like, hey, here's what, here's what the song was really about. And what's funny is I think sometimes I actually prefer the meaning that I give to the song more than the one that the uh, writer of it intended, um, which I think is actually a trick sometimes because they write songs basically to have multiple meanings so that more people will buy them. Um, but, but I actually like the song sometimes that I'm writing in my, the meanings that I'm writing in my own head more than the author. But when it comes to the Old Testament, I want to give you this exhortation today uh, that you wouldn't settle for a lesser story. They wouldn't settle for a lesser story. These guys got this Old Testament lesson from Jesus, and I wish it was recorded. I really do. Um, but I want to exhort you not to now, with the Old Testament, settle for a lesser story. And I think there's two ways that we kind of can do this. One is to treat the testaments, the old and the new. A better word for testament, the word that it's translating there is more like covenant or, the, or a promise, which is a, like a promise we dare not break. A covenant is a solemn agreement. Um, and, uh, and so that we treat these covenants or testaments as two different things that don't really interact with one another. And so we, we make the Old Testament irrelevant at best and inconsistent at worst. 
when we do that. And so I hear people talk about it, the Old Testament God as a God of wrath, but the New Testament God is a God of love. How can these be the same God? And whenever I hear that, I honestly just think you aren't, e you aren't reading either the Old Testament or the New Testament very well. And I'm not saying that like to shame somebody. I'm just saying I don't actually think you're getting it. I don't think you're really understanding what's happening in the Old Testament or in the New Testament because you see them as so disconnected or incongruent. Because the truth is, is that it's one story. It's one story that's about Jesus. Romans 15 uh, verse 4 says this, it says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I, so I heard, I've heard it said this way, just think, thinking about the New Testament and Old Testament relating with one another, because Romans 15.5 or 15.4 is, is explicitly saying, hey, these things are written down. The Old Testament is not irrelevant or incongruent with the New. It's meant to actually preserve your hope. And so the, the New Testament provides both the answer key and the algorithm for reading the Old Testament in its fullness. Because we have the New Testament, it doesn't replace the Old, but it helps us to understand the fullness of it. And so the second way that we kind of settle for a lesser story with the Old Testament is we treat it as, as our own life map or a set of inspirational fables. And so we drop into stories and characters and we sort of read ourselves into them haphazardly. And, uh, and, and, and we do that in such a way that we make ourselves the focal point of the story. And the reality is, is your life will come into focus by reading the, the story, but you have to understand that the central character of it is Jesus. You're not the central character of the story. One of my favorite jokes I've ever heard, it's like a, such a, like, seminary type joke, but, you know, there, the Bible is not a life map. There are maps in it, but it's not a map for your life. Um, and so it can serve as a way to make decisions and guide you. But if you're looking for a life map or a, a story that's the focal point of it is you, is, is you're looking for the wrong thing. But that's actually good news for you because we're story-based creatures. We love stories. We want to live a great story. Uh, the littlest of kids, man, they can pay attention to something for a long time when it's wrapped up in a story. But the problem is, is that our sin nature convinces us that the way to do this best, to live a great story, is to put ourselves at the center of it. Don't you see that that's true for all of us? We, we try to, uh, we end up putting ourselves at the center of the story because we think that's the best way to actually live it. And this is the launching point for us. This is, this is why, this is the why behind this, why we're going where we're going as a church this summer. And we are going to go hard toward this, this truth that we're, that we're following Jesus into the Old Testament. When we study the Old Testament, we're following Jesus into it. And that's why we're calling the series BC, the history of redemption. We're going to see that redemption doesn't just show up kind of all of a sudden in Jesus, and God just says, okay, well, I guess I'll make a plan to save these people and to write the gospel into creation. That's not what's happening. The history of redemption starts all the way in the beginning. And so, of course, if you're tracking with me, you know there's no such thing as B.C. if Jesus is in, indeed the C. There's no B.C. if Jesus is the C, because John explains that Jesus has always been, that he was there when all things were created, that that, that there was no time before him. Time started when he started it. And so there is, in a sense, no before Christ 
time period. But nevertheless, there's this amazing reality that we mark time, that somehow the world has chosen to mark time based on Jesus' arrival on this planet. Now, there's a common day wave that we, people, you know, historians get around that by saying BCE, which means before the common era, or CE, common era. And so trying to kind of sanitize Jesus out of history. But nevertheless, BC is predominant. And, and, and what we want to do is look at this Old Testament period, the BC, and see how our redemption was written on every page of that testament. And how the Old Testament road leads us to Christ and how every mile marker along the way bears his image. How we can see him not just when we get to the end of it, but all along the way we're getting glimpses of Jesus. The Old Testament, the, the kind of majesty of it is that it both moves us towards his arrival and foreshadows him every step of the way. And so alongside of this sermon series that's going to run this summer, we're going to invite you into a reading plan that's going to help ensure that you see the plot lines of the Old Testament as they unfold. And, and so that's going to call you to read these 11 books of the Old Testament that will help you have a really good grip on the actual unfolding plot of the Old Testament. And so that's a, it's, it's an ambitious plan, but it's not a crazy plan. It's a very doable plan that you can undertake. And we want to call you to this because we want to give you a, sort of a helicopter flight through the Old Testament. If you've taken it once and you know it's worthwhile, and, and, but if you've never taken that flight through the Old Testament to see it that way, you get to see the contours of a story in a powerful way. And so alongside that, we're hoping to do a midweek podcast where we can unpack the plot a little bit more for you with these Sunday sermons that are focusing on driving us how uh, this Old Testament is really and truly the history of redemption in Jesus Christ. But this leads me to my third exhortation. So the first one was just don't settle for a lesser hope. And the second one is don't settle for a lesser story. And the third one is don't settle for simply knowledge. We're not going to settle for knowledge. Our aim is worship. And so if you keep reading in Luke 24, what you see is that um, Jesus, uh, you know, they get to their destination and Jesus sort of acts like he's going to keep on going down the road. And they're like, no, no, please, please come. Please keep talking. It's like they got a taste of seeing Jesus through the Old Testament. This guy who they didn't know who he was were like, man, we just want more of this. Don't keep going. Stay. Come eat dinner with us. Keep talking to us. And then they sit down to dinner. Jesus blesses the meal pulls back the veil, however that happens, and they see clearly that they're sitting with the resurrected Jesus, and then he just disappears. And when that happens, they sort of are just looking at each other, just stunned by the moment. And, uh, and they, they say this, and this is why I'm saying don't settle for knowledge. Our aim is worship. As Luke 24, 32 says, they said to each other, did our hearts did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I, we, I know you're looking for a heartburning moment. Not heartburn like in the you know, physiological sense. That's not, nobody's looking for that. But, but if you're looking for something that would move you, that would stir you, that would set your heart ablaze, that's what I want for you. That's why I don't want you to settle for simply knowing things, but for worship. I wish that we had Jesus' Old Testament seminar recorded, that we could play that, listen to his voice, hear just the writer of the symphony telling you about all of the movements from his own mind and heart. But here's the thing. 
I believe that the Holy Spirit can do that as we go and trace through these Old Testament passages. I believe that he can do that and that he can ignite worship in our hearts as we unpack the history of redemption, that he would do that in you, whether you're watching that on your TV, listening to it on a podcast, or actually able to gather with us in this room. And because ultimately what I want for you is to, to walk with Jesus down our own Emmaus Road this summer through the power of the Spirit that you would know him more through it, that you would trust him more through it, that you would grow as worshipers through it. That's why we're starting something new in the midst of a daunting season. And I love this passage. I love this truth. I, so much so, I love this Emmaus Road, so much so that that's actually why we named our second daughter. She's almost five months old. Her name is Emma. And um, it's the closest we could get to naming her Emmaus in a way that some felt loving to her, you know. And, uh, and so... I, my hope for her is the same as for you, that she, would, that she would actually walk this Emmaus road and know Jesus on it. Her name is Emma Grace, which also means full of grace, and that she would know the full grace of God that's found in Jesus, the one who's walking alongside her on this Emmaus road. That's what I want for her. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for me. And so don't settle for a lesser, uh, lesser hope or a lesser story or simply knowledge. Let's come into this, lean into this, pick up in this reading plan and, and trace the contours of the story with us. Lean in, commit to being a part of worshiping through receiving God's word. I hope that he will do something for you and that the Holy Spirit would ignite that for you. And just, to, just, to, you know, just to send you off with this, I was reminded by Matt Tatum when we were up here together uh, recording that today, I was reminded that this Jesus, what he did in this moment, this resurrected Jesus was point back and say all of it that's me. You got to know that this is leading you to me. I am the Alpha, you know. And then in Revelation, he tells it, he says it this way. He says, I'm the Alpha, right? But then he also says, I'm the Omega. I'm the end of the story. I'm the beginning and the end. The story, the scriptures are about Jesus from start to finish. And uh, he's at the centerpiece of all creation. That's actually where all of your hope is tied up in. So don't settle for a lesser one, friends. Let's not settle for anything less than Jesus himself walking us down our own Emmaus Road, igniting our hearts with worship this summer. Let's do that together. I love you, church. Um, I'm going to pray for you, and then, and then we'll go from here. Father, would you do that? This where, where even my friends are settling for a lesser hope. Would you, Holy Spirit, convict them of that right now and even take a moment to press pause and repent of that, turn away from that, where they've made the Old Testament story something disconnected from the new and maybe something just all about them, a fable, a set of fables. God, would you help them to repent of that and turn away from that to see the integration of your beautiful story that you're writing? Would you even take us down that journey this, this summer? And then would you help us to not just have knowledge about these things, but knowledge that is ignited in worship? Would you help us to move into that in all of our lives? God, we want that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.